Today's first tip comes from an unlikely source, a fan who likes our podcast so much that he sent us a jar of his homemade honey, and who also is a do-it-yourself personality in his own right. His name is Eric Gunnar Rochow, and he's the guy behind Garden Fork TV, a website and YouTube channel that provides advice much like this podcast does. Here's what Eric has to say about planting garlic. The ideal time to plant garlic is about two weeks before a hard frost, which is a time that is coming up soon. To do it, pick up some fresh garlic at your farmer's market, separate the cloves, and plant them about three inches down in the dirt, with the flat part of the clove pointing down and the pointy part pointing up. If the cloves sprout, that's okay, because when it snows, the snows will freeze off the sprout and it will regrow in the spring. If the cloves don't sprout, that's also okay. What you want is for the garlic to grow under the snow and give you garlic ramps in early spring. If you like that tip, there's plenty more on this episode. Eric came by the podcast studio to teach us about cooking food in a hole in the ground and also about beekeeping. And I think he knows what he's talking about because the honey was awfully good. After that, Kevin tries to find studs in a plaster wall. We talk hurricane preparedness, and the entire staff gets winded playing a game that might help you get six-pack abs. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and you're listening to the most useful podcast ever. Our special guest in our podcast room today ended up on our podcast because he sent us a jar of honey <laughs> and a very heartfelt letter, which was awesome. It's Eric Gunnar Rochow, who is the host of Garden Fork, which is on YouTube and also GardenFork.tv. Welcome, Eric. Thanks. It's really cool to be here. You guys are in my ears in the car, <laughs> and here I am in the place. And everyone that's wondering, it's a really cool place. Oh, <laughs> so. thank you. Thank you. We built it ourselves. I feel like Kevin built it himself. Right. Kevin and Roy. and Roy were in here with a lot of glue, putting yeah. up these tiles. Well, thank you for coming in. You're our first fan who's also been on the podcast, which is, I think, an achievement. <laughs> you know, postal letters work. <laughs> that is true. People think that we get a lot more mail than we do. We don't. We get a little bit, but not like hundreds and hundreds of letters yeah, that people think we get. likes to email now. Nobody writes a letter. I know. So you live in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And you have a house upstate. Yep. And your channel is all you doing these amazing outdoor things with adorable dogs. Yeah. I call it eclectic DIY. It's basically, I'm like Roy Berenson, except I have a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> And a drone. Oh, wow. I was raised to fix everything myself. My grandfather was a building super in the South Bronx in one of those big pre-war buildings right near the prison. And we just were raised to fix everything. And I did some work in the television world. And I thought, oh, I could have my own TV show. And I realized that wouldn't work. But YouTube was there. And I just like sharing the cool stuff I do in a weekend, which can be welding or doing something with a Dutch oven or trying to make maple syrup or raise bees and all that kind of thing. So speaking of a Dutch oven, we asked you for a couple of ideas for what you might want to cover on today's show. And you were telling us about this bean hole cooking, which this is the name alone sounds. <laughs> we've, we've enjoyed saying that. Yeah, a lot we've been like, is, oh, is the, is the bean hole guy coming? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's going to be how I'm known. <laughs> <laughs> so what is bean hole cooking and why would one do it? It's the original crock pot. I mean, people have been cooking food in the ground for millennium, but this technique originated with the Penobscot Indians of Maine, where they would take a clay pot, they would put beans in it because they were agrarian. They also farmed in addition to hunting. And they would have white beans and they would use bear grease and maple syrup with the beans in a clay pot. They would put that in a hole with coals that they have cooked down, and then they'd cover that with a deer skin and dirt and let it cook overnight, and that was bean hole beans. Wow. And that sounds like, I mean, sweet beans, that's like a thing. It's delicious. Yeah, that sounds really good. <laughs> and then it morphed into the loggers up in Maine adapted it to their kitchens, where they were making bean hole beans for the logging crews. And one story I read was when they were going to bring the logs down a river to the ocean, the cook would paddle one day ahead of the logging crew bringing all the 
the logs. He would dig a hole, start a fire, put a Dutch oven in there with the beans, cover it and mark it, and paddle another day down the river. So the loggers would come and hit that camp. They knew where the camp would be. They'd see this marker. They would dig up the beans. They were there the next day, and they would have their dinner ready for them. That is such a good idea. It's like what Meryl does for me now. (laughs) Your lunch is in the fridge. Don't forget it. Same deal. It's just enough to paddle to get there. Yeah. I read an article about it. I was like, I love fire, and I love just being outside, and I love cast iron, so why not put them all together? I dug my hole in a, I have a raised vegetable bed, and that works best, I think, because the soil is already dug up because it's where you put your vegetables. Mm -hmm. It's a little easier on your back that way. Right. How deep do you need to dig? A foot deeper than your Dutch oven. Okay. And a Dutch oven with a wire handle is the best to use. Okay. There's several varieties like that. I mean, use what you got. That's what Garden Fork's all about. But if you have to go buy one, get one with a wire handle. Mm Mm-hmm. And you basically line that hole with bricks. You want the hole six inches wider all around than the pot you're using. And I use pallet wood and stuff, just scrap wood to start a fire. And you want to cook it down to almost coals. You could also use chunk charcoal if you don't have pallets you want to burn. And then you prepare your beans in the Dutch oven. Then you lower it down using a chain. And if you don't have a chain, you could use coat hanger wire, cable, whatever you got. And then you cover that. I use a piece of tin. Any kind of metal will help. Before you cover it, you take more coals that you've burned and put it on top, cover that up, put the dirt on there, and let it cook overnight. And your Labradors want to dig it up when you take them out. Oh, I believe (laughs) it. In the middle of the night, I let them out to go to the bathroom, and all of a sudden, they disappeared, and I'm like, ruh row. (laughs) (laughs) Or they're trying to get in the beans. Because you could smell the bacon in the whole yard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you put bacon in yours. Bacon works. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I would put bacon in mine. It's a flavoring agent. It's adding salt. It's adding flavor. And the sooner you put salt into a dish, the better it's going to taste. Okay. This sounds really tasty. Seems fun. Seems yeah. easy. Seems also cool to set it up the night before and then have your friends come over, open up your hole, and then there's part of the day. That's what I was thinking it'd be cool for kids. The only drawback is some of the projects that I do, people are like, you know, they live in the suburbs of Chicago and they're like, I don't think my neighbors would like that. You know? <laughs> I could see that. So th- this is great. Thank you so much for telling us all about this. One last thing. You sent us this jar of honey. You have bees? Yeah, I do beekeeping and I make maple syrup. And how do you make honey? It's a lot of work. <laughs> well, thank you yeah, thank extra you. for sending <laughs> us a jar of special honey. Thank you then. I have a whole series on my YouTube channel about raising bees. And you know, beekeeping has gotten really popular it is not as easy as putting bees in a box and at the end of the season you have honey. You know, there's all sorts of environmental pressures now. I think everyone is thinking should take a class or work with a mentor. And this year we had about 120 pounds of honey. It was a really good year. Oh my God, that's a lot of honey. But then last year we didn't have any because of the drought. If it doesn't rain, there's no nectar flow. And if no nectar flow, you don't get honey. Wow. And then how do you actually harvest it? Carefully. Yeah. (laughs) Carefully. By mechanical means, basically you want to keep the queen in what's called the brood supers, which are the boxes where they lay all the eggs. Mm -hmm. And then the bees will naturally collect honey in the boxes with frames that are above that physical barrier. It's a screen. It's called a queen excluder. And there are various ways to get the bees off those frames because they're tending to them all the time. And then you put them in a, basically it's a centrifuge. It's called an extractor. It's a lot of fun. It tastes amazing. That's just something that, you know, came off your roof. Right. Well, thank you so much for coming and telling us all about all this stuff. For our listeners, Garden Fork is on YouTube and also at GardenFork.tv. There are almost 94,000 subscribers on YouTube, and the videos are very cool. There's one about the beanhole cooking, so if you want to see what Eric is talking about, you can check it out there. Thank you for coming. Thank you. 
By now, Hurricane Irma is in everyone's rear view. But when we're recording this, which is before now, Hurricane <laughs> Irma is bearing down on the state of Florida where my parents live and where I grew up. So Kevin and Peter thought maybe we should all talk about hurricane tips. And I can because give you... Because we care about the debt Well, because right now there's already Jose and... Jose's right behind it. It's Katrina? true. Yeah, no, no. it's... Katrina Caitlin? Too. Somebody... Well, Katrina it has to be Jr. a K, right? If it's Jose next and isn't the one after that they a K? They do. It would be a K. But they retire names after hurricanes are really nasty. So there will never be another Katrina. Yeah. Which makes sense because you'd have to and differentiate also, which Katrina are you talking about. There yeah. are enough names out there that we can... I believe hur- there are six lists. Hurricane Kareem hasn't happened yet. That's accurate. Well, I don't Maybe. know. Hasn't? I, I don't, don't think so. <laughs> That's a good one. Hurricane Kareem. Yeah. Is this the first K name? The, I there'd be of? so many memes of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar just yeah. like dunking on people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'd be rough. So hurricane tips. I've lived through quite a few, mostly inland. Obviously, if you are told to evacuate, get the heck out. It's your family evacuating? My family has not been told to evacuate. They're in Tampa. So they are, for now, knock on wood, they're under a hurricane watch, not a warning. They live far enough inland and not in a flood zone. So their plan right now is they're worried about the trees falling on them. So they are going to sleep downstairs, which is a tip I would recommend. If you have a lot of big trees around your house, sleep downstairs. Things that people think will help, a lot of people tape their windows, or I always heard when I was a kid to leave your windows open a crack. Because of pressure? Yeah, well, that was the idea, but it's wrong. So the idea that I heard was that it would reduce the pressure on your house, but actually what you should do is keep all of your windows completely closed because any forceful wind that gets into your house is going to try to get out, and the way it's going to try to get out is often through the roof, which you don't want to (laughs) do. I think the window thing creating a weak point. Right. When that window's down in the frame, it's held pretty strong. When yeah, it's like it's an true. inch up, it seems like you're just giving it a place to break. So this is according to the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety. Close all your doors, including interior doors, because that strengthens your house, basically. Oh, it's yeah. so what you're saying about the windows. Right, strengthens the integrity. So you want to do that. The big thing before the hurricane that I've experienced personally, and we were in Sandy a few years ago here in New York City, and this was a big thing, is get gas and get cash because the ATMs will be down and gas becomes a serious commodity. Yeah. In the wake of a hurricane, you don't know how long you're going to be without also, take a shower before the hurricane hits because you oh. don't know when the next time you will have hot water is. <laughs> and if you are a lady, shave your legs because that gets old really fast. Right. Yeah. Or a male swimmer. Or a male swimmer or a man Soft who legs. likes to shave your yeah. legs. Yeah, that's also an option. But yeah, I remember the night whenever the hurricane was going to hit, you know, you'd eat up all the food in the freezer. You'd have a big like freezer smorgasbord <laughs> and then everyone would take like a nice long hot shower. That was like the pre-hurricane <laughs> thing. Also charge all your electronics. And if you have any spare batteries, obviously charge those. You always want to have water for people to drink. And enough food that is non-perishable to eat, of course, that's very basic. But also fill your bathtub with water so that you can flush your toilet if the water goes out. And also put all of your important documents in a plastic baggie and know where it is. Just have it if you need to run. I would never have thought of that. Yeah, that's a good one. If you need to run or get the heck out, that's one thing you do. And then a lot of my friends are from Florida and have been posting tips from their own experiences on Facebook. And I have a friend who I went to college with whose home was destroyed in a hurricane. I don't know if it was Matthew, but it was fairly recent. Recently in, in a hurricane. And what he said to do is before the hurricane hits, go through your house with your iPhone camera and just take a video of all of your stuff. And that way, if the insurance company needs oh. to replace it, then you can prove what you had and you can show the damage to it. And they don't try to screw you with some like half worth replacement. You know, it's like, oh, you had a dresser. Well, whatever. Here's a dresser. <laughs> yeah. you, know? you also know what you had that way, too. It'd be hard to tell you right now what was in my apartment. Right. This is if you're worried about catastrophic damage, in which case you should probably evacuate, but definitely take a video first and then get the heck out. 
Yeah. And then just last tip, I would say you definitely don't want to be in a car, obviously, during a hurricane. Stay inside. And if you need to drive anywhere, don't drive over puddles because you can lose control of your car in six inches of water. So don't do that. What's your favorite non-perishable food? Ooh, that's a good question. Definitely tortilla chips. And like shelf-stable queso. I mean, come on. As regular listeners will know. (laughs) We used to throw a lot of hurricane parties. Irma is probably not the hurricane for that. But the smaller hurricanes, if you're far enough inland, you know, you get a bunch of games because you're going to be bored. That's the thing you don't think about. Get a bunch of friends over, play some games, play some weird games, get some candles, eat some chips, drink some beer. Will you end it with a stay safe, y'all? Stay safe, y'all. Thanks. This segment we've been working on for kind of a while. It's been in the lineup list as uh, Kevin in the plaster wall. And before that, Peter finds a pipe. Yeah, Peter was going to find a pipe. There's a lot of people trying to find stuff in drywall in this office. Yeah. Or I guess in your case, plaster. Right. So what do you have and what are you doing? Okay, so here's the situation. I just moved to a new apartment and we want to hang sliding barn door. Ooh. And that's like, they're pretty heavy. You know, it's not something where you can like, avoid having to find a stud to hang it. Right. And in this case, a couple of studs. It's a house that I live in, and it's from 1872. So they use plaster and lath walls. So what that means is basically you still have studs. And I think the studs are actually bigger, although I'd have to check with Roy, than the studs they use nowadays. Mm-hmm. But over the studs, there's a layer of like horizontal pieces of wood. That's the lath. And then they put plaster over it. Plaster's not like drywall, where it's like a sheet where you know exactly how thick it is. It's like people applied plaster, and maybe they smooth things out, or they find a bulge, they make it thicker. Right. So there's all these things in the way of actually finding the studs. So a normal stud finder doesn't work, and that left me with a conundrum. Right. I think I've actually had this experience, because I I don't know if I've said this on this podcast. It's embarrassing to be the host of the most useful podcast ever and have paid someone to hang my television. But I did, and the guy asked me what I did for a living, and I was like, I don't want to tell you, yeah. <laughs> but I work at Popular Mechanics. I'm a writer. Yeah, exactly. Also, I, sometimes the most useful way to do something is just to pay someone to pay do Pay someone it. to do it. Yeah. But the same thing happened to me. I also live in a very old apartment, and I put the stud binder up against the wall, did exactly what you're supposed to do, and it just beeped constantly. And I was like, I don't right. understand what this means, so because I'm not going to screw this up. just like everything's setting it off. So I actually, right. I went to talk to Roy. I was like, Roy, tell me what my options are. And basically, as a renter, like none of them are viable. Like it's like, <laughs> get a hole saw and drill a big hole and then try and look inside and see if you can find it. Just cut the whole panel of wall away and then put a piece <laughs> of plywood up. And then when you move out, take the plywood down and put up drywall and make it look like, and I'm like, no, I can't You're do like, listen, I got a security deposit I got to think about here. Yeah. So Peter, actually, the reason Peter finds a pipe was the thing was because Peter had been sent this new, currently Android phone only attachment called the Wallabot DIY. He was going to try and find a pipe with it, but my use became more pressing, I uh, guess. Also, I think something happened with his pipe exploded. It or probably something. did. I yeah. feel like he was looking for a pipe that was maybe bad and then the pipe just was bad and then he had to hire somebody or something. Yeah. Something happened to Peter's pipe. Yeah, who knows where it is now. But this thing Wallabot, so basically it's actually like a physically separate kind of phone-sized piece of plastic that you plug into your phone with a cable and it shoots a signal into the wall, which I think is similar to how some stud finders work. Mm-hmm. But they actually use an algorithm to sort of sort through what's reflected back, and it differentiates between the reflectivity of different things inside the wall. So currently, Wallabot DIY is designed just to be used in sort of your standard stud and drywall wall or concrete wall. They're not actually set up yet for lath and plaster, but I talked to these guys, 
And basically, it's a matter of processing the signal they get. So they're trying to refine the ability to look behind a plaster wall. Okay. They agreed to help me. It's definitely still a work in progress, but it's a pretty cool product. So, Wait, so they gave you like a beta version of this? Yeah. So you can okay. get you can buy it now. It's $100. And you can get the app. But the app, basically, when you go in, you tell it what type of wall you have. And the options right now are just drywall and concrete. Okay. But when I talked to them, they were like, you know, we've actually been trying to figure out how to make this work with lath and plaster. We can sort of show you what it will do right now and tell you how we're trying to fix it and also okay. tell you how it might be useful for you, but it might not. Gotcha. So I tried it. But let me show you really quick. I'll okay. show you what it actually does on the walls here because here in the building in our studio, we have metal studs, which it works with, both oh. wood and metal. So I'll show okay. you. Okay, let's check it out. Okay, so Kevin just showed this to me. It's actually really cool. It's got different colors for the different things that it shows you. We tried it on our wall here in the Hearst Tower, and it actually had a little gray beam that said metal stud. And it was like an x-ray kind of. Yeah, it'll say wood stud if you get a wood stud. There's also a couple other modes that are more advanced, which is what they told me to try. So one mode actually just sort of shows you live feedback from the pings that it sends out. So you just sort of see blobs of different colors. It looks like a hurricane map. Depending on how reflective something is, the color is more intense. Okay. But you have to know more what you're doing to interpret that. Right. And then it also has a scan mode where you just scan it over a section of the wall continuously, and then it generates an image based on what it found. Oh, that's cool. So I did that on my lath and plaster wall because they said, look, it's going to detect a bunch of stuff, and the trick is going to be to figure out in that what the stud is. So these are what the pictures look like of my wall compared to what you just saw. Oh, my God. That is a rainbow. That is amazing. I would hang that on my wall. Like, I think that's, I've seen that in the MoMA. (laughs) Right. It's fine art. (laughs) But so basically they were like, okay, so if you look through this, the areas that are the brightest are the most likely to be where your stud is. Okay. And brightest in terms of like red or pink or? There's like greens that are bright and then there's greens that are Okay. Okay. And then they said you can use this expert mode that sort of shows you the real time feedback to see if you move to one of those places then move up and down and see if you get like a big flat blob that's consistent the whole way. And then probably it's a stud. Yeah. But the reason I wanted to mention all this is that what's interesting is that they have another version of this. They have like a whole section on their website for makers or developers or people who want to try and use this in different ways. Because obviously a wall is not the only thing that has stuff behind it that you might want to see. And so you can actually get like a dev kit for this thing and program it with your own algorithms to process the pings that it gives back. They've said that the technology actually came out of technology intended for medicine to be able to look at like ultrasounds or x-rays. Oh, cool. So you can actually get this and program it to do other things. To figure out whether whether you've got a broken wrist or something. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's very cool. Cool idea. And and nice of them to make it open source. Yeah. But so it's $100 and it's available now. And if you have a standard kind of wall, I would say go for it if your wall is from the 1870s. It's a work in progress but I think they're going to figure it out. And a cool way to, to use your cell phone. Did you end up hanging the door? I haven't yet because I still have to explore the spots in my rainbow. I was actually going to email these <laughs> pictures to them. I feel like that's something someone says at Burning Man. I still need to explore the spots in my rainbow. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to send them my rainbow and see if, what they say, where they think the stuff are. <laughs> that's probably the first time they've ever heard that. It is currently the U.N. General Assembly in New York City. So we brought Eleanor back in for Diplomat Facts. <laughs> Diplomat Facts. Diplomat Facts. That's your favorite segment. That's everyone's favorite segment. So there's this little thing called diplomatic immunity. Oh, I've heard of it. Well, apparently it dates back to 1961 
when the Vienna Convention made it an actual law instead of just sort of under the table, like, I won't prosecute your diplomats if you don't prosecute mine. And what it does is it protects diplomats from getting in trouble for anything. Anything? Pretty much anything. So can a diplomat murder me and get away with it? Unless their home country is like, Jackie, that wasn't cool. (laughs) Either the home country can be like, hey, United States. Prosecute that guy. Prosecute that guy. Or they can bring you back and be like, hey, you're in trouble here. So I should be from a really lawless place. Place Turkey. and go somewhere else. <laughs> no, those, his his bodyguards beat up those people in DC, and then they just shipped him out of the country, and oh, right. nobody can get him in trouble. It's pretty rare for a diplomat to actually get in trouble for malfeasance abroad. I picked the wrong job. Clearly, it should be popular mechanics immunity. I think so. But the idea behind it, which. It sort of seemed like a perk of being a diplomat, but the idea behind it is preventing like your ambassadors from becoming pawns in like an international game because a war or something, or like someone being like, "Hey, I'm going to throw your diplomat in prison unless you okay." Well, but couldn't you just ask your diplomats not to rape and kill people? You could, but the point is, you could do that, but (laughs) probably a good thing to do regardless. But um, the point is, if you're sending someone to a country with maybe fewer scruples. Where that kind of stuff flies. No, where they, where they would want to make up a reason to keep your diplomats in their country. Oh, okay. So these guys didn't necessarily that. do it. It's just so they can't falsely that's prosecute the, that's them. That's the idea behind it, yeah. I got it. Yeah. But, however, <laughs> fun fact, fun diplomat fact, the one thing that diplomats can get are traffic citations. Uh-huh. However, they cannot be forced to pay them. <laughs> That's amazing. So you could have like a, like thousands. I mean, if you're a diplomat, you could just park anywhere. Could. They do. So <laughs> between 1997 and 2015, foreign diplomats racked up $16 million in owed traffic fines to New York City alone. Oh my God. No one can see my face, but my face just exploded into an expression of surprise. That would pay for some of the subway. Yeah, it's <laughs> diplomats really just a little us. bit. It's diplomats who are ruining our subway and experience. And the biggest offender in that period was Egypt, who was responsible for over $2 million. And one car alone got almost 2,000 tickets. Jeez. Oh, my God. You basically have to try to I was like gonna say, park that's in front really... of a fire hydrant. I guess you could get Maybe that's towed. how he would do it. He would just always, there's always spots in front of fire hydrants. That's <laughs> what like, I'll oh, do. Got a ticket. The world is my parking space. Oh, my God. Diplomat facts? Diplomat facts. Those are pretty good diplomat yeah. facts. Alex George just did a huge package for us on AI and voice recognition and face recognition and all this crazy stuff. And the voice recognition stuff we thought was pretty interesting because it's kind of hard to talk to Alexa and all these things. Yeah, researching it, it's really funny, especially when, like, while I was researching it, I'd meet parents who would talk about how their children interact with Alexa and interact with these devices. It makes you just think about how weird it is to be talking to a robot and how it changes. And if you look at it really specifically, the interesting thing is, remember how we used to have to say representative when we're on the phone yeah. with customer service <laughs> right. to get through. And now it's kind of this thing where if you over-enunciate, it doesn't understand what you mean. So seeing that transition has been kind of interesting. Yeah. So one other thing I asked people at Apple, when they were doing the demonstrations, they say, hey, Siri, what's the weather today? Mm-hmm. Rather than saying, hey, Siri, pause, wait for the beep what's the weather today? They just said, hey, Siri, what's the weather today? And then it works just like that. And I think that's kind of a general trend that you'll see is that you don't have to have that period where you're waiting for it to respond to you or waiting for it to process. The other thing that too that everyone's working on is making it so if you've ever used it, everyone in the room has to kind of fall silent when you talk to Alexa. I mean, not necessarily, but 
they're going to have ways of using multi-directional microphones and voice signatures of different people to actually figure out who's talking and who to pay attention to, as opposed to just listening to everybody else around it. I don't remember who told me this story. I want to say it was Peter Martin, that he had a New Zealand friend, a Kiwi, oh, who, yeah, who yeah. was trying to say yes to one of those things. And he was like, yes. <laughs> Yeast, <laughs> and it uh-huh. just did not was not having it. Yeah, it's funny that comes up with the how they program these things. There's actually a period. I think it was Amazon was looking for people to speak with Australian accents so they could build up their database of Australian inflected words, so it would be able to recognize in more languages. So can these various like OK Google and Alexa and Siri? Can they understand different accents as well as like a standard mid-Atlantic? Yeah, and it all comes down to this process of both feeding a whole bunch of spoken dialogue into a big data center that has all this recording on it so it knows what to recognize. So when I was with Apple a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about how if you use Siri on the new version of iOS 11, which is still in beta right now, Siri speaks back much more smoothly. So it'll, you know, it doesn't sound quite as, uh-uh, uh you know, mm-hmm. oh, I uh-huh. think that like yeah. it sounds more human-like. I wish you would stop asking me such questions. And it sounds less like that because they explained to me that the person who recorded the voices for it, they would have them sit down and just read an entire book out loud into a microphone. So it would really figure out the cadence of the sentences and how it naturally sounded when somebody spoke as opposed to just putting together chunks of pre-recorded words like it used to be. They wouldn't tell me what book. I'm really that pissed. I really want to know that. incredibly boring, though. Oh, yeah. To have to. Well, I mean, it's just like reading a book on tape. Do you think they just picked a book that they wanted to hear? Like the engineer people? Oh, good question. Like I've always like, meant to read War and Peace. So yeah. I might like, as well do that. <laughs> I'm looking at the language settings. So this is on the new iOS 11. Chinese, Cantonese in China, Chinese, Cantonese in Hong Kong, Danish, Belgian, Belgian Dutch, English spoken by with an Indian accent, English spoken with an Irish accent, English spoken with a New Zealand accent, wow. uh, Finnish, German for Switzerland, Hebrew, Italian spoken in Italy, Italian spoken in Switzerland. It's got all these different and ways. And this is also it. that it can recognize your voice. Correct. Yeah. Does it talk to you that way? Like, does Siri get an Irish accent? Now, the way it used to be, I played with this, you could set it to have like a South African male accent or something like that. And I was so excited about that. I'm like, yeah, sweet. It's going to talk to me like that. But that meant it was expecting you to speak to it in that accent. And so it wouldn't quite work, right? So you didn't get your South African I didn't get my right, South so unless African you can butler. Perfectly, so yeah, it could be good if you're an actor and you're trying to you know, learn how to speak in South African dialect. Like once Siri can understand you, you're good yeah. to go for your movie. Good hack on that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, now they've changed that. So there's actually a settings menu where you say, I speak in British English. If you told me when I got my first cell phone that one day there'd be a menu where you can select what type of accent you have so the phone would understand you. It still makes my head explode. It's You'd crazy. Like, and that's after the flying cars or? Another question that came up in researching the story that people might want to know is, you hear these stuff about, is my Alexa eavesdropping or is it always listening? We've asked them and the people from Amazon or wherever say, no, it's waiting for the wake word, which is where that, you know, you say Alexa or Siri or whatever before it does any recording. That said, we had this Air Force general in the office a while back and we asked if he had one. He's like, no, I'm not going to have an internet connected mic microphone when I'm talking about sensitive information. Right. I was going to so, say, yeah. but again, that's what they would say. Yeah, <laughs> so. totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but the general conclusion I've come to is the same way if you've ever used like a spam filter, like Gmail is a software program is looking at your email and that's how it gets to be really good at filtering out spam. Amazon, Alexa, or Google Assistant, they kind of work the same way. So I think that's how it works and it's up to you whether you're really comfortable with right, that. If but, you're trying to launch an anarchist coup or something like that, maybe don't get an Alexa. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So do you have any tips for using voice recognition software that would be beneficial for the average public that's trying to talk to Alexa like Alexa? 
So like me. Totally. It's something that I've had to kind of get out of habit as well. Don't over-enunciate. Talk normally to it. So you just speak in a sense and phrase it you know, however you would maybe talking to somebody else. And that's more likely to do it than if you try and say individual words. Now, the drawback to that is I asked people from Apple, I'm like, how do we actually use this better? And the other one that they said that they notice and I notice myself, have your complete idea before you speak it, <laughs> which happens to me all the time. So I'll be like, Play music by uh, and then it doesn't work. So and then you have it plays to play music by form. uh, which there's like, aha, be a maybe. <laughs> Siri's like work. a finishing school. It's like, don't talk down to it. <laughs> yeah. Don't over enunciate. Say please. Well, that, that's the other crazy part about this is that I was talking to a researcher named Professor Alan Black. He works at Carnegie Mellon University, and they have this entire division that's dedicated to speech recognition and figuring out how to apply it and come up with ways to process it. And he was remarking about how if you see a kid speak to Siri or Alexa or anything like that, they speak in a kind of a formal tone to it. So it's kind of this, I don't know if it's by training or if it's deliberate on the part of Apple or other places like that, but if you speak without too much inflection to your voice, it'll more likely pick up exactly on what you're doing. So pretend you're a newscaster. Pretend you're speaking on a podcast. Yeah. I wonder if having robots that you have to speak to in a certain way will change our language in a way that has not been changed before. I think that's entirely possible. It's kind of interesting because at the same time, companies are trying to figure out ways to process how humans just interact with each other. So another big field of this is figuring out how to understand inflection. It will be interesting to see where the intersection is like that, where if it adopts to how we speak to each other first or if we kind of adapt as a society to something like this. The robots are our friends and our overlords, (laughs) and that's your future. Okay, so as we're recording this, Alex George is actively doing a plank right now. If you're grunting, if you're grunting, there's a testing being done right now. Peter Martin, what is this thing? (laughs) (laughs) So this is the stealth. I think it's just called the stealth. But it's a it's a plank game. Planks are boring. Planks are no fun. That's accurate. But they're good for you. They're good for your stomach. Make you strong. But so this thing, it is a bit. It's basically a triangle set up on a pivot, (laughs) and you put your phone on it. You download the app, put your phone on it, and then you hit start. And you have crosshairs that you try to aim at different balls on the screen. So you hold the crosshair over the ball for two seconds. It explodes. You get a point. You keep going. It counts your points. Oh, you gotta rotate your arms, Alex. When it says, "There you go." Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh. I feel like one, a torturer. He played with his socks on, which was a real mistake. That was is that, a mistake. Right. Oh, because it gets loose? It gets well, his slippery? just started slipping, yeah. Oh, you don't so you that. have to move your arms around to, you change the angle of the board to move the phone, to move the crosshairs. Okay. And then you just go until you can't. So it's a game. And is it fun? I mean, it is, uh, so, maybe should we ask Alex? Well, yeah, what? we should. That's true. Now that he's done. If you can speak <sighs> with your strained no, you abs. You need to be out of breath. Game over. <sighs> <laughs> that sounded Yeah, bad. it's kind of funny because... I hate planks too. It's always just me counting down in my head, like how much longer until the guy who's doing the class or whatever says I can stop. That wasn't your best. You did better. This was Alex's second shot. We should right? say we've been testing yeah, everybody in the, the office here. One. Alex did two minutes and four seconds Damn. for 101 points. Matt did four. No, but Matt. So okay. we actually so we made so, everybody test it. All right, yeah. Let's say we made everybody in the office test it. Not everybody, but everybody who was willing to do it. <laughs> we wouldn't force anyone. And Matt. Alan won, I believe, which we did kind of mm. suspect. However, it's like the Barry Bonds of like planking. He did, he did cheat. Yeah. His butt was up high in the air, and he spread his legs like a triangle. Yeah, I mean, wide feet, a, high butt. It was Doesn't practically count. a down dog. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if we can count that. Asterisk on that. Yeah. yeah. 
I will say, when you described it, I thought it was going to be like, like remember that game F Zero, where like you're racing or something like, like you're going through 3D space and all that. I thought it was going to be more like that, but it's it like, is a pretty basic. <laughs> that's what I'm imagining. I have not done yeah, it yet. So Jackie, you're going to do it live, which oh, will yeah. be boring for everybody listening. <laughs> that's a good pod. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so you can't do too well or we'll just have a bunch of silence. Okay, well, we could also cut it short. The magic of editing. Uh, okay, you want to try it? Yeah, I guess so. I should. Maybe while you walk over to try it, it's two ninety nine, which is pretty expensive. Ooh. And that's for the board and the app. Well, the app is free. Oh, okay. So that's just for the board. <laughs> okay. But the board, it's a pretty well-constructed... It's pretty cool. It's, that's it's insane. Nice this thing, it's a, like a ball and it's like a joint kind of piece of plastic, right? Yeah, but oh, it's not cheap. And $300 it, it doesn't, really well. though, it doesn't I mean. hang up or anything. I would not buy one, but it feels like something if my gym had it, I would maybe use it there. I would okay. be excited for okay. it there. All right, so I'm going to try it now. Here we go. So you're saying shoes, not socks. Well, yes. yeah, learn from Alex's learn mistakes. Learn from Alex's mistakes, okay. So you're just going to hit that top button when you're ready, and then it'll count you down from three, two, one, and just put your arms on the, on the triangle. We need, like, a drill sergeant here checking for him. It is hard not to stick your butt in the air, though, because when you lean the thing back... Do they have other <laughs> games coming out that are expanding it? It would be nice if they did. That's one of the drawbacks of this my thing. My arms are more tired than anything right now. You, yeah, the shoulder. My shoulder's always get sore and playing. Yeah, this is the only game. All right, she got to the most exciting and yeah. hardest part. I could see this being, like, a video game gym of the future item. Jackie Double shaking. score, Jackie. Her arms Double are red. score, it's Jackie. I don't know if the red arms are just people from Florida or if the strain. All right, she puts it down. Oh, my God. Wow, you that are amazing. Really, you are pretty red, though. Jackie's the fitness champ of this yeah, podcast. definitely. Yo, that hurt. Uh, oh, listen to that score climb. Wow. You sound beat. Yeah, I'm, uh, whew, that was, that was, like, you know, I definitely got a good workout out of that, right? I'll say. It's fun. Yeah. And and, and I beat Matt, so, you yeah, know, it's, it's always a good day when that happens. Say, so your official time, 4.09. 4.09. Look at that. If you were, like, a family trying to get into fitness, though, or something like that, like, I could never imagine buying this for myself, but if you had, like, athletic family, you're like, let's get this thing for planks, and, like, I got a buddy whose family I could see totally, like, <laughs> former professional athletes in the family, like, them just going head-to-head on this I also thing. think, like, a gym should, gym should gym buy should it, have, you know what I mean? You should have that at a gym, and then, like, you just download the app, and there's a little sign above it that's like, try this yeah, app or, like, thing. like, Shazam, or QR code for the app. Yeah. And, and it'd be cool if your gym, like, if you had a setup, so, whatever, the Crunch Fitness on... 86th Street, you were the champion of. Oh, like, yeah. like a, oh, that's a good idea. Like Game, Gamified even has that. Yeah, you can set this up and like you, we all could compete. That could cool. be on the set. I guess you're on a worldwide leaderboard, so yeah. you could do that. So um, wait, so are you are who's our? How do we choose a winner? Are you you're our winner? winner? You're the winner. You're the I think yeah. we split it because the core trainer winner. I think we split it because you got more points than me. Though. But I don't think points count. Ads uh, count. Well, cool. I, I don't know that I would buy that for $300, but I would definitely use it if my gym bought it. <laughs> Crunch. This thing it does feel pretty durable. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel like a piece of junk at all. Like You get some of that kind of kitschy workout equipment. It's like, ah, this is nice and all, but this is going to break in two weeks. And this it, it's plastic and rubber, but it feels pretty hardy. Yeah. Interesting fact about the man who invented this, whose name is Don Brown. 12 abs. He also invented the ab roller. Oh, which is also a very difficult wheel. exercise. Yeah. My parents owned an ab roller. He either has great abs or horrible abs. He's always trying to get more fun ways. I, to I would get say if if there's a photo of him that doesn't show his abs, I'd be so upset. Like he should just never wear a shirt if he's he like, an ab guy. Goes to weddings without like with just oh. like a square, like a bow tie, like a Chippendales. <laughs> that was great. I think that it's cool. Nice job, Jackie. Thank you. That's our show, y'all. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Brandcasters, Inc. at www.brandcastingu.com. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. 
And if you want to read more about such disparate topics as hurricanes and beanhole cooking, check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.